Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. My name is Amanda Neppel, and I'm the Discipleship Director here at Hope Des Moines. I want to welcome you here to our noon Good Friday service. We have been praying for you, and so we believe it is no accident that you are joining here, joining us here today. I want to let you know when you came in, you should have received one of these postcards. And so this is just uh, one more opportunity for you to pass this out, to invite someone to be reminded of when services are happening Saturday and Sunday, learn about the kids' activities, all those different kinds of things. So please take a look at this postcard if you have any questions or grab another one if you still have some folks that you would like to invite to services this weekend. Today the format to our service is going to be just a little bit different than the way we do our other services throughout the year. We have seven, seven different leaders from the Hope Des Moines community and each one is going to speak on a different um, word from Jesus from the cross uh, as he was um, on the cross for each one of us and so it'll be uh, an opportunity for you to reflect and experience these last words of Jesus, hopefully in a fresh way, and hopefully it is our prayer that you will be able to just sit in the moment to reflect on Christ's sacrifice for us and to uh, just experience then this Easter season in a, in a new way because of the words that you will hear today. As we continue with our service, I would encourage you to stand up, say hello to a few folks around you, and we will continue. Two others both criminals were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. I have grown up in the church my entire life. It's been a wonderful thing, Yet, there's been a very real danger in it, yet for, for me at least. The older I've gotten, the more I've become aware of my propensity to separate myself from the sinner. Surely, my life doesn't look like theirs. Yet, heading into this Holy Week, I've been reminded again and again of just how much my life looks just like the sinner's. All of us see people around us at times making choices that grieve the heart of God, and it's sad to see. At times, the sin is so blatant. At others, it's a little more hidden. I've learned that it can be very easy to pit myself against the sin that is in the lives of others, and as if somehow I am better or have arrived in some way. In reality, I've become good at hiding my sin. But my sin is still there. It always has been. So the fact remains, my life is the same. I am no different. I make choices to blatantly grieve the heart of God. And at other, at other times, I do so unintentionally. I too am a sinner in need of a savior. I need to be forgiven. I am not better than, and I certainly have not arrived. It's easy to read about the criminals on the cross who put Jesus to death, and, excuse me, and the soldiers who put Jesus to death and then gambled for his clothes, and think that we are nothing like them. Yet, weren't they sinners? Aren't we sinners? Don't we all need forgiveness? If we truly understand the depths of our sin, and we understand just how much we have been forgiven from, 
and just how very much we are like every other person we encounter, how very much we are like every other sinner, how very much we are like the criminals on the cross, how very much we are like the soldiers who put Jesus to death and gambled for his clothes. And if we understand all of this, we can come to appreciate at greater depths the words that Jesus speaks while on the cross because they speak to you and they speak to me. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Crucifixion is not something any of us would put on our bucket list. A bucket list is for things like, you know, going skydiving, going to Florida, restoring a classic car. Crucifixion would fall on something that's more like your anti-bucket list, things that you never want to have happen to you. Things like get cancer, watch a child die, go through a divorce. We don't know a lot about these two men that were on each side of Jesus, but we do know that the superpower at the time, Rome, had found them guilty of what amounts to terrorism, and they were sentenced to die. Crucifixion is not a nice way to die. Gravity pulls you down, and you find it harder and harder to breathe. Yet, they're in the midst of the greatest pain these two men had ever felt. They drew themselves up and they drew breath, and they spoke words, and how different these words are. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We don't know a lot about these two men, but there was nothing really terribly redemptive about them. And you know, what they do at this point is that they cry out in their desperation. These are not easy words to say. These are not raw, filtered words, but they cry out to Jesus. And so much has been written about their tone. You know, on the one side, we have a thief that says, hey, I am um, rebellious. I am sarcastic and cries out to Jesus. The other one is more humble. But there's more than just their tone. Let's take a little bit look at the way they cry out to Jesus in the midst of their pain at rock bottom. On the one side, the thief looks over at Jesus. He doesn't really want to own his mess. He looks at Jesus and says, maybe, he's thinking, maybe if I get this magician to, you know, do some magic trick, I can save myself. He doesn't want to own his mess. And at that point, he cries out and he starts to prescribe, Jesus, this is what you need to do. On the other side, we have a thief or the criminal that says, he draws breath amidst the, the pain. And he says, buddy, you know, we deserve this. We got ourselves into this mess. But this guy here in the center, Jesus didn't. We deserve to die. 
And maybe this man considers Jesus. He looks at the cross, considers Jesus for a moment, and draws breath again. And he says, yeah, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, also experiencing that pain, draws himself up, inhales breath, and looks at this man. And in that moment, he says, you know, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise, paradise. What, what just happened here with paradise? Jesus looks at him and says, child, you are loved. Today you will be with me in paradise. There is nothing redemptive about either of these men. They're not Mr. Rogers. They're not Sunday school teachers. They're sentenced to die for their crimes. Yet in the midst of this, one cries out and says, I have nowhere else to go. Jesus, save me. So may we, as the storms of life, the weight of life pulls us down, and the gravity of life just weighs on us, and we struggle to draw breath in in the little things and in the big things, maybe that reverse bucket list item. May we not try to do it ourselves and say, this is the way I want you to do it, Jesus. May we look to Jesus and say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The third word from John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. Sitting near the cross, standing near the cross, were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. The words that Jesus uses, dear mother, to address his earthly mother are interesting to me. And we see that it is not the first time that Jesus referred to his mother that way. Earlier in John in chapter 2, Jesus and his family are at a wedding at Cana. And the whole family is there and the host runs out of wine. And Mary, Jesus' mother, recognizes this as an issue. And so she goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, they need help. And Jesus looks at his mother and he says, dear woman, this is not our problem. My time has not yet come. And I imagine there must have been a little bit of playful banter between mother and son because in the very next line, uh, Mary promptly ignores what Jesus said. And she turns to the host and she said, just do whatever he tells you. And we know then that Jesus brought forth the best wine of the evening. And we understand this to be Jesus' first miracle, the turning the water into wine. And what is interesting about that particular miracle, unlike all of Jesus' other miracles, this miracle does not come with forgiveness of sin. It does not come with restoration. This miracle, I believe, is simply a loving request, a loving offer to a mother's request. This was an act of love that Jesus had for his mother when he performed this miracle. And yet, even as Jesus is doing this for his mother, he's also separating himself from her. By using the words, dear woman, he's making it clear that he is moving on a bit from his earthly family because now the time has come for him to complete the mission that he came to earth to do. And so if we fast forward now to John chapter 19, it is a very different day than the celebration in chapter 2. 
And Jesus does nothing on accident. And so I wonder what it was that Mary was thinking about just before her son called out to her from the cross. And I wonder if she was remembering the day when Jesus was just eight days old and she and Joseph took him to the temple as was their custom to do. And when they arrived at the temple, there was a prophet there, and the prophet's name was Simeon. And Simeon was overjoyed that he was able to see the Lord's Messiah before he died. And Simeon prophesied that day as well, and he told Mary and Joseph that this little infant would bring joy to many, and that this little infant would cause many to stumble. And he told Mary, a sword will pierce your very soul. And in Jesus' last moments on the cross, we see a mother's son who once again fulfills an earthly obligation. It was his obligation as the oldest son to make sure that his mother was cared for. And so even in the midst of his separation, even in the midst of the heartache, here we have Jesus on the cross with one more final act of a son's love towards his mother. And we are left with just that tension here in this moment. We are left with a mother whose soul feels every wound on her son's body. And we are here with Jesus, Mary's earthly son, and Jesus, son of God, whose passion would not be hindered. Noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, John writes that Jesus was with the Father in the beginning. In fact, that all things were created through Jesus. Jesus and the Father were always together. They were always one. In fact, later in John, Jesus wrote that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And that I and the Father are one. If you look at Jesus' ministry... He even said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. Yet now Jesus' time has come. It's time for him to fulfill this mission, to take on the sins of the world. And he knew what that meant, that he would be separated from the Father. That the sin that would be upon him would cause a Father who is perfect and holy to have to look away. Even through the flogging and the crucifixion that Jesus was enduring, he didn't cry out. But it was only in this pain of this separation as the sin of the world was laid on him that he cried out, The prophecy that's written in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
And it says that the sky turned dark for three hours. Here's Jesus on the cross who John called the true light of the world on the cross in utter darkness taking the sin of you and me and everyone and putting it to death. The sinless Christ took on the sin of the world and the wrath of God on our behalf. Our sin without the sacrifice of Christ would have eternally separated us from God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Your sin, my sin, was reckoned, was accounted for, and was fully paid for when Jesus was separated from his Father that day. As believers in Christ and receivers of this free gift, we know that nothing can separate us, can abandon us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. fifth word comes from John 19, 28, and 29. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it to his lips. Jesus said, I am thirsty. At this time, Jesus is hanging on a cross. His arms are outstretched. He has nails in both hands and feet, a crown of thorns on his head, bleeding. He's been completely stripped of everything, completely stripped of what I might call all of dignity. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been betrayed. He's been denied by his closest friend. He's hanging between two criminals. He himself has been charged as a criminal. Everyone looking by the world standards, by my standards, I would consider this to be a very unsuccessful day by someone proclaiming to be king. Jesus, fully God, yet fully human, gives us a glimpse in this moment of humanity, of the need of our hearts. He says, I am thirsty. When you begin to break down these three words, when you begin to research them, what you'll find is when Jesus utters these words, what he is saying is, I suffer from thirst. Figuratively, what he's saying is, I have a need for, I have a longing for that which will refresh, strengthen, and support my soul. I began to think, what do we have need of? What do we suffer from? What do we have longing for? To feel this need, to feel this longing, I realized it never, it didn't start with me. It doesn't start with any of you. 
doesn't start when my life falls apart sometimes or I feel like I'm way up. It started on a cross. It started when a woman at the well met Jesus for the first time. She gave him all she had, a bucket of water. Jesus looked at this woman and he replied, anyone who drinks this, you're gonna thirst again. But what I give you, the water that I give, you will never be thirsty again. It started when Jesus addressed the crowds and he said, blessed, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It started when Jesus said, anyone, any of you who thirst, come, come after me. Jesus hangs there, he says, I am thirsty. I want you to imagine for a second, Jesus who is living water is now showing all of us, the limitations of the human heart without him. This limitation, he says, I am thirsty. What are you thirsty for? What does your soul long for? And what are you doing to fulfill that thirst? Jesus with arms outstretched says, I am thirsty. The sixth word comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. So here we are. Jesus was just mocked and yelled at saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! They whipped him. They spit on him. They yanked at his hair. They looked him square in the eyes with disgust, with hatred, with pent-up pride. And now we have our Jesus on a cross, beaten and pierced. And he says, it is finished. Our God could have said, enough, enough already. He could have conquered evil right then. But instead, he chose to continue and to do something in our minds unfathomable for us. He chose to have his son Jesus continue to hang on a cross for us and to say, it is finished. And when I hear Jesus say, it is finished, when I read it in scripture, I hear it with an unexclaimable unattainable love for us, 
a love that we can't even fathom. When Jesus says it is finished, he's not saying it's done, it's taken care of. He's saying it is complete, it is accomplished. I've done it, and I've done it for you, and I've done it for me. I've done it for you, and he's done it for me. Here we have our Savior on the cross, but on his mind is you, and his love for you. When I see Jesus on the cross, I simultaneously can see him walking on dirt roads with his disciples, sharing the ups and downs of life. I can see him with a gentle touch on the face of the adulterous woman, saying, no, I do not condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. I see him touching to heal somebody, talking with somebody, conversing with people that others thought was not worth it. And I also see him in the mountainside praying to his father because even he needed that. We could go on and on about the story of Jesus throughout the gospels, the parables that he shared but right now, in this moment, we're reminded of our Savior on the cross, saying, it is finished. My work that God's command for me has been obeyed. It is finished. And we are reminded of what God says when he says, it is for this reason he must lose his life so that the world would know his love. By this time it was about noon. And darkness fell over the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. As Jesus nears his final breath, we read that a darkness came over the land, and the light was almost all but gone. A moment in history when it seems like time itself stood still and the darkness seemed so real. The same Jesus who not too long ago had stood before the crowds and said, I am the light of the world is now surrounded by darkness on every side. This is the time when we would love to get out the remote control and fast forward through this part of our story. Would we just love to pretend that this doesn't exist and we can just move on to the end? But at this point, this is all they knew. This was the end. Death is the end. 
This is the end of the line for Jesus. But we know that the darkness is real. We can't skip this part. Darkness is real. Evil is real. You can look at the evening news or you can look inside of your own heart. There is a deadly disease called sin for which there is no cure on our own, on our own strength until the cross. But this, this innocent man hanging helpless on a cross, this is the cure for that disease. This is what victory looks like. This is how the story ends. How could it get any darker? How much more hopeless and full of despair could this story get? Where are you and I to turn when our strength is almost gone? When our fears overwhelm us? When the light seems so dim? We cry out to our Father. Just as Jesus did. And we let go. And we commit everything that we are into his hands. Many years ago, I stood on the edge of a swimming pool in Story City, dangling my feet over the edge, a five-year-old boy. And for me as a little boy, it was like contemplating jumping into the deep, deep, dark, scary abyss that was certain death. To me, it was certain death, and I would not let go, and I would not jump until I saw my father standing there before me with outstretched arms saying, come on, buddy. Come on, my son, you can jump. I've got you. I'll catch you. And finally, after fighting it again and again and again, I took a great last deep breath and I jumped yelling, okay, daddy, here I come. I'm trusting in your hands to catch me. And in his final breath, Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands. I'm leaping. I'm entrusting my spirit. I'm trusting that although you have turned your face from me, I will see you on the other side of this. The death will not be the end, but Jesus was not jumping into the deep end of a pool. He was jumping into your death and my death and your sin and my sin, not knowing what it would cost. That he would go to hell and defeat the power of hell and darkness for you and I. And he jumped and he commits himself into his father's hands. Not because the pain wasn't real, but because time and time again, the hands of his father had proven faithful. And in a moment of unthinkable vulnerability, from Psalm 31, and I'm sure a psalm that he had learned as a little boy, a little Jewish boy growing up, when he was scared of the dark, when his friends had picked on him, when, when he was overwhelmed and life had become too much to bear, when there was nowhere else 
to return. I'm crying out to you with everything that I am. Father, Abba, Daddy, into your hands. I commit my spirit because I trust you. And like a child running into the lap of their father and collapsing because he knows everything's going to be okay, Jesus breathes his last. And in this holy moment, pray that you would feel his final breath calling out to you, saying, let it go. Commit everything to him as well and trust that today his grace is bigger than your sin, that his love is deeper than your rebellion, that in his dying breath, Jesus offers you life. At the moment that Jesus' heart stopped beating, the Father's heart could not have been beating louder, calling out to you and I, this is how far I'm willing to go. This is the pain I'm willing to endure. This is the price that I'm willing to pay. I've given you my life. Now will you trust me with yours? With every breath that you have left. Behold your Savior on a cross. Because without his final breath, there is no breath of first life for you and I today. Today, may we cling to an old Roman cross, knowing that death is not the end of this story. And watch with his final breath, Jesus show us once and for all, without a doubt, how deep and how wide the Father's love is for me, the Father's love is for you. Amen.